Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Solopek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by my colleague, Mislav Mateka, head of Global Equity Strategy. Mislav, you know, one of the stories we've been telling year to date is that this is a thinly traded rally, poor participation. And uh, what, what's happened with the recent jobs number was that after this big rally on Friday, we started to see a big uptick in market breadth. How worried are you about this? And you think this is some kind of turning point? Thanks, Tom. So this is the interesting one because exactly as you say, up until Friday, uh, up until just now, you had extremely narrow markets. So our call for the whole of this year was to belong growth short value, which is exactly opposite from what we had last year and year before in terms of the key call when we favored then value and financials and commodities, we were short tech. So up until Friday, it was very, very narrow. You had equal weighted S&P 500, which was actually down on the year when S&P 500 market cap weighted was up 11. So huge spread, small caps, Russell 2000 versus S&P 500 at a low. Uh, you had MSCI US value down 25% versus MSCI US growth. So, so even with this bounce in the last few or four days where Caterpillar is up 15% and small caps have bounced and cyclical value has bounced still overwhelmingly on the year, the leadership is extremely narrow and, and it's very growth long and value short. So, so I think it's fair to say that if you look at concentration, if you look at technicals, um, a few days of a reversal trade does not make a um, huge change. Uh, still, the starting point is very, very stretched. So technically, can the short squeeze continue? Yes. However, the reason why we were saying the whole of the year that you should be looking for a narrow market, you should be in quality growth and short cyclical value is because the call is that macro momentum will be softening and the bond yields will not be able to break out higher. So, so yes, you have short squeeze, which clearly in the last few days is happening, but for that to sustain, you need to have a fundamental confirmation. So on Friday, yeah, payroll number was great, but the household survey was, was bad. Um, the call is still here. Labor market is probably weakening. Jobless claims and other things will be getting worse. Uh, China stimulus, we, we can touch on that perhaps later on, but the rally on Friday was driven by hopes of China stimulating and, and that might be uh, lacking. So yes, the market was very narrow, long growth short value worked maybe, maybe too well up until a week ago. So you can have these uh, reversals, but for them to be sustained, for them to be a proper um, investment on a three, six, nine months, you have to have a fundamental turn and we don't expect it. That's why we stay with the original call that we had through the year. Yeah, I agree on hundred percent. I look at the market reaction and, and you know, I think what the market reaction was, was fairly positive, but it, as you mentioned with the household survey, it failed to appreciate a few details under the hood, in, including that. And also the, the hours worked went down and the unemployment rate went up. So a very positive reaction to, to an imperfect print. So now you, you touched on China a bit. Let's let's turn to China. I mean, it's it's a very frustrating situation where the uh, the stimulus maybe is not quite what we hoped for, and and a lot of the reopening stuff seems to have stalled. You look at you know subway traffic and 
or domestic flights and, and even overseas flights, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've rallied, they, you know, they've, they went up a bunch and then they seem to have be, be stuck at a certain level. Meanwhile, you have these long-term issues with housing. Um, wh where are you on China right now? So, so again, so this is the similar one to the overall call where MSCI China has fallen 20% plus from the January high. So you had this November to January aggressive reopening driven bounce. But since January, it was one-way traffic down 20% plus in a bear market territory. And therefore, there is this angle that more and more people are basically hoping for that it's so bad that needs to be stimulus. And, and any signs of, of government saying we are cutting deposit rates or we are opening doors to something, um, market is interested in that. Um, but the primary call that we have is not much will happen. There will be bits and pieces, uh, but it's not going to be wholesale and it's not going to really affect the primary problem, which is the solvency. It's not about liquidity. It's not about cutting you know, your cost of financing a little bit or cutting surveyor fees a little bit or deposit rates a little bit. When you have the underlying issue of a structural housing market affordability problem with the negative demographics, uh, land sales are down 30% this year. Things can stabilize there, but they're not going to improve. So, so for China, we played the reopening, uh, but as you mentioned as well, the domestic consumer um, base effects have fully normalized. To have legs to this, you need to have next driver. And wage growth in China is lacking. There is not that much of excess uh, savings. There is very low confidence uh, among um, investments and among the consumers. So unless you have the government stimulus, which is very wide ranging and, 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 and significant, it's likely to continue to stagnate. And that's part of this uh, call that we have uh, to be calling for a rotation. You need China to step up like they did in 0304 or like on 9010 or 1617. If you don't get it, then we continue to roll over. That point you made about excess savings in China is, is important just because it's a very different reopening picture in China versus the other countries where they had a big uplift. Now, let, let's turn to the dollar a bit. So our, our FX team has become more bullish on the dollar based on what's been going on with China. And the, 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 the thesis is that China was a counterweight to kind of maybe US-centric problems like regional banking stress or debt ceiling or, or whatever the US-centric problems are. China's strength was the, was the counterweight to that. And if that counterweight is giving way, then um, th then you, you can get to either end of the, the dollar smile and, and push you towards, uh, towards dollar strength. And th in this case, the US easies are doing well. So we're still talking about uh, US exceptionalism at this point when you look at the US easies relative to, to China easies. But, so how do you think about the dollar right now? So, so this is the interesting one, because if you think about overall risk sentiment, you know, why were we bullish in second half of last year, looking for the market to rebound, saying that recession fears are way premature and people are all too negative. Uh, the, the positives came through, but importantly, the dollar peaked last September, October and went down 15%. So dollar weakening is always a risk on supportive for the markets and this is the question 
are we maybe at the end of this dollar weakness, which was there with us since last September, October. And I do also subscribe to the view that dollar is probably bottoming out because the market is pricing in too much for the Fed pivot relative to the other central banks. So interest rate differential might actually move back into the favor of the US. And exactly as you say, in terms of the growth differentials and the eases, the US might still look relatively better if the dollar were to pick up, that will be a problem for the overall risk taking. And I think unlike last September, October, when everybody was long in the dollar and everybody was of the view that Fed just keeps hiking and all that versus everybody else, and that was supportive and that had to reverse and that's why the dollar fell. Now we had 15% of the dollar weakness and now we are on the other side of this trade where actually Fed relative to the other central banks is, is maybe mispriced. And if the dollar picks up, uh, that usually means something for the for the risk assets in a in an inverse way. Now let's turn a second to um, to eurozone and Japan. Obviously, you guys had a great call recently to to take off eurozone overweight, uh, timing it very well with regard to the China slowdown. And with regard to Japan, obviously, it's a it's a tricky thing to call. The, the long-term bottom in Japanese stocks in 1988 or 1990, the market peaked um, and with only brief multi-year periods where, where it rallied, um, it, it's difficult to call the bottom there. But at the same time, arguably we're entering into a new era in the sense that uh, inflation is finally starting to tick up. They will be under pressure to, to lift YCC, negative interest rate policy, all, all that stuff. This could be the year when things turn around. So, so Love to hear your thoughts on that. So, so very interesting. So on Eurozone first, I think it's fair to say, um, you know, last summer with energy crisis, vast majority of my clients, especially the non-European ones, so especially Americans, they, they were of the view, look, German business model is broken. Europe is going to freeze. We have huge tail risks. Europe is already entering a recession. And the call that we had, apart from, you know, Europe is cheap and extremely shorted and it has hugely underperformed. Um, uh, and we were at the time, as we said, a long value, short growth and Europe is a value trade. The view was really there is too much supply coming up and gas price has to go down. So we had quite a non-consensus view all the way through the last year, long Europe, short US as a relative pair trade. Um, now, just a month ago at beginning of May, I thought it's a good time to take that trade off. And actually I went all the way to underweight Eurozone. We went all the way to outright underweight is because in my view, the growth policy trade-off for Eurozone is turning. And um, the thing here is that then since last September, October, you had this big acceleration in the European macro momentum, IFO, composite PMIs, activity as the big tail risks eased and gas price fell 90%, macro momentum improved. That is likely at the end. So since we cut Eurozone in the last few weeks, we got weakening IFO for the first time in a seven or eight months, weakening composite PMI. So I think that will continue to slow down. But on the other side, you have ECB, which is stuck, where wage growth is picking up, inflation is sticky, and ECB is likely to keep tightening into the macro rolling over. That's not a great trade-off. And um, uh, apart from simply the fact that Eurostox 50 was up 30% plus in dollar terms versus the US, so it repriced. As you say, 
it's a China indirect play and we don't like China. So that's where you want to go more against it. And ultimately, um, yes, um, the, the, there is a broadening in the market in the last few days, but if that doesn't continue, Eurostox 50 has done too well relative to market internal. So for all of these reasons, we thought um, it's good time to cut the trade and actually go the other way a month ago. So, so far, so good Eurostox 50, even though S&P 500 broke out to a new high, Eurostox 50 is clearly not. Um, and then on Japan, um, and, and, and it was very crowded in a sense that everybody was just talking about it for a few weeks. Uh, we are overweight on Japan. Like we started a bullish view on Europe this year, we started on Japan as well. We updated in December in a year ahead outlook. Um, so, I, so I appreciate that Japan has moved uh, and there could be some profit taking short term. Um, but what we find interesting is that it is disjointed from the global cycle because of the yield curve control. You could borrow, I don't know, let's say in the US a year and a half ago at two and a bit for mortgage, now it's seven. In UK, one and a half, now it's five. In Japan, you could borrow 0 0.4, now it's 0 0.4. So it's disjointed and it was the last DM to reopen. And then on top of that, you do have exactly as you said, Tom, it is important issue of the reflation where Japan is a winner of that rather than a loser and then the whole of the re-rating of the below price to book part of the market where Japan has a lot of that. So, so for these reasons, uh, even though we have cut Euro area a month ago, we do think you want to stay constructive on, on Japan in a regional allocation. One of the most common questions I come across this year is, you know, we have these long-term signals flashing red, flashing recession warnings, yield curve steepness, loose lending standards, all, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the near-term picture has been so benign, obviously, with, uh, with vol uh, tanking. And, you know, you look at, we were looking at, let's say, implied when, when it was 17 and, and, and realized it was 10. And so you can see how in the near term it was going to go down. And now, it's, now it has a 13 handle. So the idea is, is that this contradiction between the short term and the and the long term picture is is a bit frustrating, and 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 people are are nervous. They're worrying worried about where and how the cracks will show up. So how are you thinking about recession timing and what, where the cracks of the the equity market will, will materialize? A lot of traditional signals, as you say, like shape of the yield curve or money supply or credit conditions, any of that stuff is negative um, and you know we were as i said saying second half of last year it's too early because it takes time um, there is a delayed impact into the um, uh, activity from the policy and there were some one-off um, positives in terms of the the excess liquidity excess savings for the consumer plus very high profit margins which are offsetting the pressures but that was that was basically a year ago. So we were saying in second half of last year, don't position for a recession. But the clock is ticking. And, and as we ro rolled through the Q1, still strong labor uh, equity market and the labor market, the question is uh, now, um, is the danger off the table? Are we in the clear? Because so far market has been resilient. And, and a lot of clients I speak to are of the view now well, there's not that much credit exposure, there's not that much leverage, so we are not so sensitive to interest rate increases like we, we were before. And almost in the same way that 
last summer, every single economist you talked to, I talked to, told us recession has already started. Recession has already started. Now the view is don't worry about it. So far, so good, not anytime soon. So, so to me, the, the, the issue is that, yes, as you say, wall is 14, record low. Debt ceiling has passed without any issues. And now when you talk to the clients to ask them what is the next negative, people struggle to find one, which is maybe worrying that the people almost like don't see any negatives ahead. And the market, as you said, has been breaking out, but ultimately it stays with the labor market. 70% of the economy is the consumer. Services have been very strong. They're hiring heavy labor market um, has been so far very resilient, but cracks are showing beneath the surface. Jobless claims, warns, jolts, um, unemployment rate last Friday, we'll see how that um, reconciles with a strong um, uh, payroll survey. So to me, labor market needs to stay resilient in the second half for this setup to continue. And, and of course the profit margins, which we have been bullish on for two or three years, need to stay high, but pricing power is starting to weaken. So almost you can't have it both ways. You can't have this inflation and end of central banks tightening, but at the same time, no pressure to pricing power and mix and profitability. So the market has been hoping that we have a pivot with, with a margin staying high, and one of them is gonna be hurt. So, so to me, the way the market is priced now, you don't get much safety net. There is not much cushion with record low volatility and market at the high end of the range looking like it's breaking out. If you do get some weakening in the second half with the consumer and labor markets, to me, this is the key. If the labor market stays resilient in second half, then it's going to be very hard, obviously, for the macro to disappoint. But that is the key one to watch um, uh, for the next months. Great. Well, thanks for that update, Mislav, and thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.